Hey guys, in today's episode, we talked to an old friend from Milledgeville, Philip Joyner. Uh, Philip is a property manager for one of the larger student apartment complexes down in Milledgeville. Um, he was on the city council down there for a while. He's done some political consulting uh, in local politics, as well as some state-level politics, uh, among other things. So he offers a very uh, unique perspective on uh, how everything works as far as uh, the response to everything that's going on from a local level um, and how to deal with, uh, from a property management company's perspective, people who simply cannot afford to pay their rent right now. Um, just an update on some of the things we talked about in there. Uh, Milledgeville had now has 40 people that have tested positive uh, as of today, um, Friday, when we talked, there was only 32. So it's, uh, it's still going up um, from what we're seeing. Uh, I think this conversation that we had uh, centered around smaller communities and how they deal with this was very, very important because um, I fear uh, this, like many other things, time and time again, once this all kind of passes, uh, the smaller communities and not just Georgia, but, you know, throughout the United States, they're going to be forgotten. Um, we already see it in areas like uh, rural Kentucky uh, and West Virginia and places in Ohio. And you'll see it in places like South Georgia, um, where these places uh, and throughout the South, uh, honestly, these places have just kind of been forgotten about completely. Uh, and I hate I hate to see that uh, coming from somebody who grew up. Uh, in a rural community. Uh, my my father grew up in a, a very small community in Florida. Um, and it's it's sad to see uh, because they just don't have the, uh, the ability to get over things like this, uh, considering the lack of resources they have at their disposal. So I think it was a very, a very enlightening conversation. And uh, if you if you're interested in uh, that kind of thing, definitely check it out. Uh, and thank you for listening. Here it is uh, with Philip. Um, cause like at, at my job, we did it pretty often cause we had a fair amount of remote workers. Uh, so it just made sense. Um, right. but yeah, there's a lot of people that are just like, it's so funny to hear the stories about, uh, like teachers or not teachers specifically, but like all parents trying to figure out zoom for their kids for like yeah. the, the at home, uh, at home lessons and stuff like that. I'm sure you're, you're kind of experiencing that right now. We are, um, Allie, our daughter, she's having to do Zoom meetings. Apparently, uh, so a consequence of um, something you'll think about, um, at Georgia Military Prep, they had a history teacher to all the kids met on Zoom. And apparently the kids thought it would be funny to give other kids that don't go to GMC the link. <laughs> and they waited till the very end of the meeting and started catcalling and heckling. And it apparently it was funny at first, and then some of the worst of them came in and started curling slurs yeah it devolved pretty quickly so yeah we're, we're all trying to figure this out and this is i've done two zoom meetings for work so far um but yeah it's you know that's the world we live in today yeah yeah no for sure how are you uh i'm all right uh you know just uh taking everything day by day um right. work has obviously slowed down a lot um as most most places have you know unless you're grocery store worker you know some of the other more essential employees hospital uh workers and stuff like that but you know it kind of uh it's 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 funny to like see how a lot of people are starting to reevaluate what's actually a, an important job kind of quote unquote uh versus what we 
thought were important jobs before all this happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I like the, I like the appreciation that people are starting to um, have uh, for, for jobs that normally would maybe get overlooked. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have, I have uh, at, at my property in Milledgeville that I manage, um, we have a nurse and she's, she's a brand new nurse. You know, mm. she did her last classes last semester and this was her first, you know, on site and she's immediately dropped into this yeah and uh it's interesting to hear her perspective and i've you know obviously we've talked from a distance and, and hearing her perspective and of course i'm sure we all have you know nurse and doctor friends and sure we had our first uh doctor uh, tele telehealth meeting my son has sinus stuff and right uh yeah, every three months he gets a little sick and so we just elected let's just do this from home and it worked great he got his you know, a little steroid thing and, and didn't have to leave the house. So um, I think we, it, I look at it like this. We, we've been training for this moment for the past 10 years as a society with all the online, yeah. you know, with all our interactions going more and more um, impersonal, so to speak. Um, I think a lot of people, particularly people I'd say under the age of 50 are prepared for this mm-hmm. where, where I worry the most about the, the elderly and, not just because of their health, but because of the isolation and the lack of technology skills, and feel like they're they're sort of being moved further and further away from the collective conscious uh, of the country, and, and you know, we, yeah, I worry, I worry about the, the the oldest generation. Yeah, well, especially depending on like where you're specifically located, right? Because you know, right. obviously, I'm from Florida. I moved up here from Florida. Um, my family's in Florida, so because the the retirement population or the, you know, the over 60 crowd is pretty prevalent down there, especially in certain parts of Florida. That is a little bit, I would, I would guess at the forefront, uh, more so, but then, um, places like Milledgeville, I mean, obviously they, they do have an older population, but it's not a more significant chunk of the population than, you know, any other age group. Right. Um, right. which, you know, like you said, may contribute more to, people kind of forgetting about them, especially if they don't really have any family or something like that around there. Yeah. By the way, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of miss, missed the intro at the beginning, but uh, we're talking with Philip Joyner today. Um, Philip and I knew each other back in Milledgeville when I worked at Amici. Uh, his brother, John is one of the owners. Um, and he would just come in and, uh, you know, work while he's sitting at the bar, uh, and I was working and typically at that time in the afternoon, it was pretty slow. So we got to know each other pretty well over that time. Um, so how is it going down there as far as like, uh, people practicing social distancing? Um, I know it's kind of, you know, there's, there's good and bad people everywhere, but you know, there was the one photo that got circulated, uh, I guess last week, um, on Facebook of, a pretty big like boat party uh the lake, yeah yeah the over lake. on sinclair so, so yeah I've, I've done a lot of observations now you, you have your people that are <clears throat> what do we call them now karens who, yeah uh, <laughs> run around taking, <laughs> taking pictures of of people and, and you know I, i'm certainly not a, a, a karen and, and just kind of doing the the things that that are required and no more no less as far as being uh out of the house and i, I do have to work and i have to do do go to a physical office, mm-hmm. but it's a a, uh, a locked office, 
Um, so nobody goes in or out other than essentials. But but having to go, you know, you got to get gas, you, you got to get groceries, you got to go to the pharmacy. So uh, in in this town, and, and for those who don't know, Milledgeville, um, Baldwin County, Georgia, forty five to fifty thousand people. So it's not Mayberry, but it's it's certainly not what you call a large right. city. Uh, it's just enough nope. to qualify as a as a bustling small town, a, a yeah. big small town. Yeah, and I would uh, agree with that. So. When we uh, when we collectively, those of us who are paying attention at least, and I know you were one of them, uh, we saw this really seriously beginning of March. Uh, I know this was going on uh, globally in, in January and February, but really the first week in March, it was like, whoa, we need to pay attention. Unfortunately, as you know, as people listening know, a whole lot of people were taking it seriously. Um, so that first week of March, um, a lot of people were kind of sounding the alarm in this small town and everybody else was looking at those of us doing so as if we had you know three heads the the first into the second week uh also uh, corresponded with georgia college spring break which meant the six seven thousand college students dispersed by and large and went to the beaches went down to florida we saw all the the, the news reports and the the videos from from drones over the beaches mm-hmm. showing thousands of people a, a lot of our students were among them we can circle back, but I actually have a, a specific personal story relating to work about an employee who was one of those people. Yeah. She did not, uh, she was not given the opportunity by me to come back to work after that visit. Right. Uh, and, and she, and she took it well and she was communicative and honest about it. But, um, so week two was still a little by about, um, mid March is when I think we all realized that this was deadly serious. Uh, but, again in a small town and, and you, you see this breakdown uh, by socioeconomic factors uh, not as much racial factors but socioeconomic factors and you saw behavior patterns um, that just were not consistent with the information that we all had at our disposal but wasn't being consumed by um, a good good chunk of the population now that could be uh, and, and I'm using pejoratives here but I think it's important um, you, you know, you had your African American communities um, that are underserved. You had your, um, I would call them the, the the richer preppy white kids mm-hmm. uh, that all thought it was a great idea to, as you mentioned with that photograph, forty five to fifty five, mostly fifteen to nineteen year old kids with a lot of privilege congregating at the sandbar. It, it's just a matter of either not ascribing to. Uh, the common wisdom or choosing to be ignorant as to the information available for them. Uh, and it was really frustrating. And, and what happened was, it was actually kind of neat because it finally took hold this week, but it was community pressure, just like is happening everywhere else. Mm-hmm. It has happened. It's a little slower in a smaller town. It's a little slower in a community where uh, maybe you don't have as, quite as many educated people outside of the sphere and the bubble of the university system. But community pressure really made a difference. You had leaders uh, of all the different subsets of the community putting that necessary and specific pressure on their sub-constituencies, and it's finally making a difference. And I'll, and I'll give you a really quick example. Uh, the difference between last Friday and this Friday, which is today as we're talking. Yeah. Last Friday, I went to the, 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 the convenience store, the gas station um, that, that I go to, and last week was, was abhorrent. Um, I got a shouting match with a man who wanted to be just as close and putting his hands on everything in the world. And it, it you know, kind of freaked me out. Like, it yeah, of course. Else. And there was that exponentially. 
very concerning to me. Today, I had to go back by uh, that same convenience store, and procedures have been put in place. Uh, limits to the amount of people in the store, which was good on the store owner, but the, the same people uh, from the same neighborhoods near the store were practicing completely different social distancing. So, again, I, I think the rural communities are probably about to get hit more than they understand because they've lagged behind the more uh, uh, urban areas where there's more central population that is affected more drastically, that people get the information quicker. Uh, so it's going to be a cascading effect, and I don't think this will truly be over until the rural communities have gone through yeah. what the you know New Orleans and the, the New Jerseys and New Yorks have gone through to this point. And so we're kind of still bracing and hopeful, but everybody's, for the most part, gotten it at, yeah. at this point. And I know, you know, like, like you mentioned earlier, uh, about forty-five to 50,000 in Baldwin County, uh, greater Baldwin County. Um, and then I saw, I went on the Union Recorder's website and saw as of today is 32 confirmed cases um, right. in Baldwin County. So um, which, you know, in the in the grand scheme, 32 people out of 45 to 50,000, not a huge number, but there's obviously the, the understanding that it's probably a lot larger because there's not enough testing. Uh, to go right. around, um, right, and, and, and that that equates roughly to about one out of every fifteen hundred people in the community has been confirmed to have a diagnosis. Uh, another ancillary story, and, I, and I'll save for the obvious HIPAA and privacy rights of the person involved. A person who is is close to me, not in my household, not in my family, not a person that I've had direct contact with, um, had had a spouse who, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, spouse who was pretty sure that they had all the symptoms and all the hallmarks and uh, getting, you know, hourly updates about the process from the time uh, uh, that the spouse was was said to have, hey, shortness of breath, sudden high fever, body aches, uh, all, all the other, you know, smaller symptoms that, that they're reporting are, are sometimes common. Uh, the spouse did not get a test for seven, seven days from the time of the report to the Department of Health where they had a telehealth conference. So was unable to understand whether or not they did or did not have it. Thankfully for them, they didn't, Good. but uh, they, they appear so bad. But uh, I read a study in, in Iceland uh, last night. It was by two Harvard professors, I think, and two MIT professors, which said that the rate of asympt completely asymptomatic uh, patients in Iceland, you may have read this, um, was somewhere between, I think, 87 and 91 percent, wow. meaning, uh, and, and that you can parse data any number sure. of ways, and, and so this isn't, nobody take this stat to heart, but, but it, if you extrapolated it apples for apples here, and there's a lot of circumstances here that you shouldn't do that, but it would suggest that there's millions and millions of people asymptomatically infected with the virus, and that it is completely widespread within just about all of our communities, and that's something to take note of for a number of reasons. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I was talking with a, with a different friend, um, kind of when everything first really broke and, you know, like we were saying earlier, we, you know, there's a, there is only the 32 confirmed cases there, but, um, obviously with lack of testing and, um, you know, if, if you think you have it, just stay home type thing that people are being told, uh, self quarantine for 14 days. Um, I think back to when like the big news kind of really initially broke. Um, and it became like serious was when they shut down the NBA, right? Um, and then you started hearing every other day, this NBA player has it, this NBA player has it, this NBA player has it. And they were testing 
I would be willing to bet, 100% of NBA players. So if you take, you know, obviously not a perfect example, but if you take that number and kind of extrapolate it out, Absolutely. The percentage is probably closer to the amount of NBA players that had it versus what we're seeing right now. Um, but then kind of to go back or to kind of relate that to flattening the curve, once they did it and canceled everything and sent all the NBA players back to their own respective homes, you didn't hear about any other NBA players testing positive anymore. Right. Yep. They got that, that uh, they got the distancing and it, it nipped the problem, at least from reports in the bud. Another thing that's uh, been interesting from a smaller town perspective, because the government, our government, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. No, you're good. <clears throat> at the local, state, federal level, it, it, it infiltrates all of our lives for, for good and for not. But mm-hmm. um, something interesting that's happened here, and, and this is a little bit more recent to, to Millersville, Baldwin County, but you may have read it today. Um, two hot spots that they've identified and, and hotspots relative to the size of the community. Um, sure. What 15 people here would be the equivalent of, you know, and, and I, I have to do the math, but it could be the equivalent of 800 people in, in Fulton County. But right. um, we have two hotspots, the Georgia War Veterans Home mm-hmm. uh, and Central State Hospital's Cook Building. Yeah, I um, saw, I, I not to like interrupt, I did see where, uh, what was it, 15 people tested positive yeah. just in that building alone? Right, and and, and not, I won't spread any community gossip, but we do know it's confirmed that that the one death so far in Mullen County was a nurse at the Central State Hospital. Uh, but reports from the local news, the Baldwin Bulletin did have a report uh, yesterday, and um, citing their report and paraphrasing their report, it essentially showed a disparity between uh, the reactions between Central State Hospital. And, and how they handled that there versus the Georgia War Veterans Home. It's my understanding from the reporting that the Georgia War Veterans Home, the uh, Army National Guard came in, and this was the, the hazmat cleaning team. They yeah. weren't in there with, with rifles. It, it, they were in there to completely sanitize for the veterans, which is really heartening. Yeah, uh, the last sure. reports from the Union Recorder were that there was at least five cases from the Georgia War Veterans Home. Um, on the other hand, the reporting is from the Central State Hospital Cook Building that people were not allowed to be tested. Uh, they were refused tested. They were told they had to come back for work and that a number of people threatened to quit or did quit because of a lack of uh, conditions conducive to their safety. So it's, it's really interesting from a government perspective uh, and that of course state and federal, how the response in two situations, both government funded um, entities how they responded and so showing maybe possibly perhaps the dysfunction in certain subsets of the federal government uh, i think that that goes back to the consequences of elections and that um no matter your politics looking at, at an administration from the top down that understands how to organize their governmental policies and procedures because on one hand you had you know department of of, of and i will get it wrong so look it up for yourself <laughs> cook building at central right. states uh, lies under a certain uh, uh, branch of the state government versus the war veterans on that. Who's in charge? How well are each of these departments funded? Mm-hmm. And you see the disparity. And these places are within three miles of each other, and yet such different responses. And I just found that um, unfortunate and interesting uh, and something that I think could be used as a as a test case for study on on government responses to pandemics or crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, now that now that you bring that up, it kind of kind of makes an easy segue. Um, you haven't been in. Hey, I missed your segue, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, 
you haven't been in elected politics in a while, um, but you Correct. still you still uh, are in it in at, at the very least in an ancillary way, uh, I would guess. Uh, and then I know you did consulting. Um, what is, uh, to the best of your knowledge, what is it like, especially for a community like Milledgeville and Baldwin County, for the the city council and the the county commissioners? How are how what is their kind of responsibility and how are how are they supposed to kind of disseminate information to their own um, to their own people? Because obviously, you know, you have the daily briefings with uh, Trump and Pence and uh, Dr. Fauci and whoever else, and then you have uh, whatever is coming out of uh, the governor's office. Um, but how how do the local governments kind of get information to their own constituents? Well, I do stay um, in pretty consistent contact with with certain members of government and because of my experience over the past 10 to 12 years um i guess i kind of have an, an in maybe some people don't and and you know I, I listen to them they listen to me and so i actually feel like I'm, I'm a little bit more involved and have a little bit more ability to influence my community behind the scenes uh than i did when i was in the scenes right. as it were what first of all the the city of milledgeville and Baldwin County Commission, um, they deserve a lot of criticism for things that have happened in this community in the past. Um, but in the, on this issue, I'm very proud of them. Because imagine this, and I know the perspective from being in their shoes because I was in their shoes and working with them. Um, when you have a lack of federal or state response, something that's firm, progressive, and I don't mean politically progressive, I mean ahead of the curve, right. jumping ahead of the problem that you can follow that guidance because our order of operations, as it were, in the system of government in the United States is local governments follows the leadership of the state. State leadership uh, follows the leadership of the federal government. I feel pretty strongly that we did not have the requisite uh, leadership from the federal and state level here in Georgia uh, and in the White House. And so you had all these different communities, and, and we experienced it here, where the local leadership had to make up the rules as they went. So, uh, for example, two weeks ago, the city of Millersville and the Baldwin County Commission went ahead and combined their efforts and uh, uh, offered out joint resolutions about curfews, about social distancing, about which uh, restaurants, which businesses were required to close. I thought they, they, they were brave and had, had foresight and they listened to the local experts. Uh, they made the right moves. You know, you can argue should they made it five days earlier, but they, they were ahead of a lot of communities right. in Georgia. And so for a quote-unquote small town in Georgia, proud of them. Yeah. But imagine how difficult and quite frankly scary that is that they don't have the proper guidance from the governor in Atlanta. And so they're having to forge forward with unprecedented legislation, unprecedented uh, matters. They're having to shut down towns while the state is not saying to do it. Then what, uh, I'm sure a lot of other communities down in Tybee, I'm sure up in the mountains with the Airbnbs and all that, mm -hmm. uh, the governor and, and the state legislature, they all came together to the governor's decree to say, we're going to supersede all of your orders, thank you very much, and we're going to do this one order. But it canceled out a lot. You know, there was, a, there was a curfew here. People were starting to understand, I cannot leave my house and go out after six. Then the state order, with the language, it wasn't communicated well. Then people tried to understand it as, okay, so there's no curfew anymore. I can go to, and so just miscommunication. Yeah. It should have been from the top down. It was from the bottom up. And that was that was so unfortunate. And I cannot imagine how many cities and how many counties 
just in Georgia alone had to deal with, with, with those decisions and how tough they were. Yeah, and, like, to kind of go back to what you were saying about, like, Tybee, you know, there was the thing where they shut down the beaches and then uh, Governor Kemp was like, no, we can we can reopen the beaches, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and then right. And then the, the local government of Tybee was like, no, we're, you know, the beaches are still shut down. Um, so... Yeah, and I, I agree because obviously, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but federal and state levels, and then obviously the a place like Atlanta, like obviously Atlanta's the capital, but you have other states where you have bigger metropolitan areas that aren't the capital. They're probably getting more information and better information quicker. And if that infor- and if that information is not trickling down to places like Milledgeville or like Tybee, or, you know, different places in South Georgia or up in the mountains, which are much more smaller, more insulated communities, they're they're kind of having to make decisions without without, you know, all their all the ammo available, so to speak. Right. You're down on the totem pole. You you unless you're on one of the one of those municipal conference calls, you're getting the information second, third, and fourth hand and, and by that, you know, I mean you're not getting it in real time. You know, Keisha Lance Bottoms is going to get information before the mayor of Millersville does. That's how it works, mm-hmm. and we understand why that is. But the lack of information uh, at people's disposal, and quite frankly, the socioeconomic, again, yeah. disparities between urban and rural communities, it, it's, a, it's a significant disadvantage. I would say one of the biggest advantages right now is while we know the community spread is far, far greater. We, we've had too many outbreaks in the community. Of course, we have more than 32 cases, if not hundreds, if not thousands. Um, but uh, there is an advantage to living in a little bit more isolated area where the population density uh, isn't a significant factor. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Uh, urban centers have the population density and the quick community spread. They also have access to better testing, better hospitals. Uh, I have a friend who's a medical courier, and so she's actually delivering uh, some of the coronavirus tests from uh, town to town. She's going across state lines. Uh, she's giving me a lot of really good information. And um, you know, she said, quite frankly, the rural hospitals um, don't have what they need. I have a resident at, at my property here, as I think I mentioned before, as a nurse, mm-hmm. and she said they, they give one surgical mask a day and say, that's it. Uh, and I know the problems are far worse in hot spots, especially places like New York, but it just, it just illustrates the, the, the disparity in health care in rural 100%. areas as well. And, and it's, you know, just like Albany, Albany was the test case for the United States of America. It's only 75,000 strong it's a great city but yeah. they have gotten absolutely wrecked the, the, the i think it's doherty county if i'm not mistaken yeah, and their yeah, neighboring right. county is lee and between the two counties uh it's been a quite frankly a disaster area uh, and that's what happens when a community that doesn't have the resources the health care the hospital system the funding the information uh what can happen when something community spreads and rips through the community it's deadless they're burying hundreds and hundreds of their citizens uh, and that could happen to any rural community in America. It still could happen, and it just very well may happen. And I just hope it doesn't happen here. Yeah, and I think I, I think with places like like Baldwin County, um, like uh, Albany, where they're they're going to see their peaks hit sooner versus later because their their proximity to the coast and to more uh, more uh, hot spots, so to speak. Um, I, th- I don't think that we 
as a nation are like fully ready to know that like as a nation this is still going to last a while because there are smaller communities more inland and not even smaller communities um bigger metropolitan areas that are but a, more in the central part of the united states that their peak is probably a month away and if not longer could be and and you know if you hadn't watched the news in a week and a half, you would assume that this Sunday, Easter, we're opening the thing back up. Um, a lot of people have, have have spread the information that you should turn off the news. Uh, I get I get that sense uh, of of wanting to get away from the anxiety and and you know the whole mental health side of this is just. I, I feel so badly for so many people right now because I know that they're going through hell from the, the, the mental health portion of this. And to get away from the news is probably a good idea because nothing you're watching is particularly good right now. Right. On the other hand, though, I think it is it is all of our responsibility to stay informed on a daily basis, whether that's getting your daily briefing, taking an hour in the morning and an hour at night, whatever it is, right. whatever your consumption threshold is. <clears throat> but there's so much lack of, of, of understanding, uh, and I think it's systemic back to where we are now, and that, that's a whole rabbit hole. Sure, and then sure. we could go down right, to politically right, right, yeah. and society, but but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of communities, and you see it in California and Washington. I've got a friend that I talk to every day in San Francisco. Things are actually starting to get better there. Yeah, but they were hit in what? Very early, early. February. Yeah, super like early. They February? were San Francisco and like Seattle were the first two like really metropolitan areas that. Right. saw the really really like the devastation of this but then also were able to correct it sooner and then and, fix and they it. had progressive policies they, yeah. they went right after it right away and it's still taken two and a half months yeah and um yeah i don't and i don't i'm i'm not smart enough to know what the solution is uh, but i think the 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 important thing is like you were saying earlier is to get ahead of it because even if you're wrong by getting ahead of it you're the the worst case scenario for that is obviously there's the economic hardships of it but there's you know you were you were just a little bit overly cautious versus being wrong on the other side which is what i feel like our state government has done in georgia you're going to see more people just dying it, you'd rather be you'd rather be wrong and healthy and safe than wrong and dead or in the hospital right um, you know, err on the err on the side of caution, and when you when you talk to people on the front lines of this, it could not be more clear. When you talk to people that are involved, when you talk to to you know first responders and medical couriers and, and nurses, you know, and they're all terrified right now. Even the ones who haven't been, you know, particularly adversely impacted. I was talking to a friend whose sister is a nurse in Atlanta, uh, and and she and her wife. Uh, are both nurses and they work in two different hospitals mm -hmm. in the Land area. One works at a COVID exclusive hospital. I, I want to say Piedmont, don't hold me to that. Yeah. And the other is a an exclusively non-COVID hospital and they're staffed a little differently and the procedures are a little differently, but they don't have a playbook for this. And, and that's the scary thing about it. But what happens is they don't have all the proper screening uh, uh, potential that they should have. They can't just give everybody a test. So people will fall through the cracks and inadvertently it will happen. It's bound to happen. It's going to happen at the non COVID exclusive hospital. They're going to end up with a uh, infected person yeah. and the ripple effects of that, how exposed these uh, healthcare professionals are 
to that one patient and then it could just rip through that non-COVID hospital. And so, and so I think the implications, I think a lot of people are, are trying to find, I give people the benefit of the doubt, I really do. And I think people are trying to find the silver lining here. And in doing so, it, it's comfortable to say, well, this will be over soon. I really hope it is. Yeah. And I hope we find, you know, the antibody cures and, and we're not going to have a vaccine for a while, but I hope we find the, the Tamiflu equivalent to coronavirus. We all hope that. But the reality is it ain't happening and, and, and it's not happening soon. And, and so the, the spread of disinformation is just to me as dangerous as the virus itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and thankfully, and I believe in humanity every day it tilts a little bit more towards what I would argue is the sane approach, the careful approach, the human approach to say, yeah, this sucks. We're going to have to all put our life on hold and be alone and be isolated. But the quicker, I think a lot of us have said this, the quicker we can do it, the sooner we'll be over. And and I do love a lot of the, the, the social media I see that says, Hey, we appeal to people on their terms, not ours. And so I would argue anybody listening to this that has a particularly morally virtuous argument wants to yell at somebody else. Typically, people don't like to be yelled at. People don't like to be condescended to. So meet them on their terms. And one of the uh, – I thought it was beautiful because it, I relate to it too as, a, as an intellectual progressive uh, politically but a southerner who loves his sports telling people – you're not going to have a college football season, dog fans, Crimson Tide fans, unless you stay at home. Whatever works. Yeah. Whatever works to get people to understand it in the way they need to understand it and stay home. And I encourage anyone out there, meet people on their terms, explain it in a way that affects their lives directly and things they love. And I think as we see that more and more, we see more and more social distancing, more and more uh, preparation and, and, and isolation. And I think it's maybe starting to work. And I think the statistics, perhaps for people as pessimistic as, as Fauci, are starting to bear that out. We just need to buckle down for another month or two. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And it's, you know, it's funny that you bring up sports. Like, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall of that conference call that Trump had with all the major commissioners and yes. uh, like uh, Dana White and Vince McMahon was on the call. And, um, uh, the uh, some NCAA, some head head people in NCAA, um, and because that you know obviously right now sports are not that important you know in the grand scheme of what's going on, but when you look back it's like you know nine eleven is just an easy example but when you look back at nine eleven and when we started playing sports again, um, it was such a nice distraction that you don't have to think about what's going on you don't have to like pay attention to the news so much. You're just watching grown men and women play a game. It's one of the it's one of the cultural unifiers of our existence, uh, and I, I actually remember, you know, I, I was um, I was in college or college aged during 9/11, and I remember it. And, and there are some similarities, um, obviously, completely different things, completely different timelines, but the sense of dread and the sense of uh, just quickly, I, I remember. I was in radio at the time, and I was actually new in radio. I was young, and having to go to even just the local radio stations we, we managed and ran, and the phone never stopped ringing the entire day uh, of people just wanting answers. And they didn't care that we were a local radio station. We were somebody they could ask a question to. And then the subsequent panic and fear and anxiety that lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks um, that people didn't know what was next. You had all these 
reports of things that never came to fruition. You had the anthrax attacks that I think was a few months later, mm -hmm. uh, where anthrax was sent to, to public and political figures. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the, that's the for those of us who, who were at least young adults or adults that went through 9-11, I think we're a little bit more steeled in that we went through that. It's different. It's certainly different, but it's something that affects us as a collective and it causes us great amount of anxiety. And so for the, for the younger people that didn't go through that, um, I work with young people. So I've, I've done a lot of honestly counseling of, of you know, and I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be perfect, but you know, we, this too shall pass. We will get through this, but here is our civic responsibility is to not be panicky is to not be afraid, is to be responsible citizens, is to do our part, and not just do our part silently, but convince others to do their part. Uh, I think the equivalent to that would be in, in religion, a lot of religions, um, it's an important tenet of their religion to mission to other people to spread that word. Uh, in this instance, it's the only way I would liken it to a religion in that we need to continue to mission to those who don't have the information and say, you know, we know what we're talking about. We're following the direction of the smartest people in the world. And this is what you're not doing that you need to do. Uh, and, and just be there for each other like we were to console each other and be there to ease each other's fears during 9-11. Those are the parallels. I didn't mean to get on a 9-11 no, comparison, but, but it really feels very, very similar in how we're dealing with it from a sociological and psychological yeah. level. I think, I think the biggest... One of the biggest differences is it's going to be much harder for Toby Keith to write a song about this. Versus... What would you do <laughs> if you're ace of mess? I don't know. I got nothing. I got nothing. No, My music good. days are behind. Um, so I want to like switch gears just a little bit because you mentioned it. You've mentioned it a few times. Um, you work for an apartment complex, um, and that apartment complex is a very specific kind of apartment complex. It's, it's for college students that go to Georgia College in Milledgeville. Um, but obviously there's been all over the news in a lot of places, you know, people trying to do rent strikes or people can't afford their rent. Um, from, from a personal level where we are, uh, we have one of our, one of, I live with three other guys. One of them has been out of work for over a month now um, because his place, his place of work shut down. And he could not afford his rent this month. Um, so we sent our landlord three quarters of the rent. And we, we said, hey, you know, Josh Josh can't pay right now. He, he doesn't have any income coming in. Um, and we haven't heard back. Uh, but my best assumption is he's probably dealing with other properties he owns that are not giving him any money. Like, he at least got three quarters of our rent. Um, so what what is what has that been like for you, Uh you know, as far as like collecting rents and like working with people uh, who may or may not be able to pay rent right now, obviously, like we said, it's a little bit different because you have college students, maybe a lot of them. I know me personally paying with maybe some student loan money or like stuff like that. But how is that? How is that part of everything that's going on affecting your uh, it, your work right now? It's such a good question. And quite, quite frankly, I think it's after the health aspect of this putting putting aside the most important thing which is you know who's sick who's dying are we all being safe after that when you get into the economics uh you know when, if, if any of us were, were said let's boil down our finances to only the absolute essentials basics your car payment your rent your groceries your medicine i mean keeping the lights on yeah. and rent is 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 at the core 
uh, or mortgages is at the core. So as far as the rental business, um, I am very, very lucky and grateful to work for a company that has an antenna that goes all the way to the top. Um, a lot of the investment money is connected to people in the Hilton uh, hotel chain and, and things like that. And not to go too far with, with explaining that, but I am getting information um, at the very top down. And it's, of course, filtering down a number of steps to me. But uh, this is all very connected. Everything economically is connected, and I think we all know that. Uh, here's how here's how I have handled it. I, about 80% of my residents uh, at the property I currently manage paid rent on time, which was a little shocking to me. I, I've seen the, the statistics nationally, which suggest that up to one-third of people could not mm-hmm. pay rent in, in, uh, in April. Uh, I was dreading April 1st. Um, to have to have the, the volume of conversations with people that I thought I was going to have. I've had to have them, um, but not as many as I thought. Now, the, the, the way we're handling that from a business perspective is put empathy first. Um, the stimulus money is coming. It's not here for 99% of us yet. I think it's supposed to start coming in now. Yeah. And that stimulus, and this is how we've, we've talked to, to students and parents about it, the stimulus was there to to help you with essentials, and essentials include rent. However, I can't ethically, this is me speaking for myself, I can't ethically, morally, with somebody experiencing a significant COVID-related financial hardship, I cannot ethically look away from that, dismiss that, or ignore that. I'll give you an example, and of course I've got to um, protect the rights of of privacy for my residents, but uh, I have a resident whose mother and father both work for Delta. Delta. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think anybody's flying right now. And I've talked to them and, and they're wonderful people and they're just they've been devastated. Um, and, and, and so what the federal government has essentially said, and I'm, I'm simplifying this big time, but uh, there's there's two ways to look at it. There's debt forgiveness and debt deferment. And what the federal government essentially is advising on mortgages and all sorts of things is we're going to go to a debt deferment model here, not a debt forgiveness for 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 loans and and, and, and and rent and mortgages and so we're following that lead um we're going to work with people the debt will still be there because if people are forgiven all of their debt and that happens industry-wide uh the industry student housing housing uh everything will fold everything will crumble there will be nothing to go back to when when college does start again in august and i feel confident that it will for reasons i've thought long and hard about based on the data um there will not be places to live for these students if all debt is forgiven. So uh, the 15 to 20% of people who have had issues, we've just done case by case and we've, we've worked with them. And I, I have personally had zero complaints, uh, but I would also say to those out there who rent, um, you're gonna get a lot of different versions of this from companies, management companies, managers, landlords, and that will reflect their character that will reflect their leadership. It is financially impacting us pretty much all the same. Yeah. But we can deal with it in a way that's respectful and empathetic of our fellow human beings because anyone who who, who is not willing to budge is charging exorbitant late fees, not willing to work with a bit. Uh, that person is going to be very clearly on the wrong side of history of this and many other issues. So I would encourage you to really... Um, you know, with with your people, are they working with me? Are they are they, you know, offering to help? If don't don't if you hear a landlord say, you know, unfortunately I have to get the rent at some point and in some way, 
that's what they have to do. They, they don't have a choice. Their lives, their livelihood, their business will completely fall apart if they do not collect that rent revenue. However, they also have measures of, of relief in this and I'm sure future stimulus packages. Uh, there's economists working on this around the clock and have been for some time. Just as much as, as we're going to be empathetic, or I am, can't speak for fellow people in my position, um, I would encourage people, if you find yourself in a situation, and I'll kind of stop it with this, if you find yourself in a situation and you are communicative with the person um, that you have to answer to about rent, and they are being empathetic and they are trying their best to help you, please have a good heart about you to do the same to them because they're in an unenviable situation as right. well. They know that it feels terrible having to make these calls. I have felt terrible having made these calls. And so I start right with, hey, my brother owns a restaurant and that's his livelihood. He owns two. Both are closed. Revenue has shut down. My family is directly impacted. That's the first thing that I tell them. Yeah. I get it. I, you know, I'm scared for my family. Hopefully it'll all work out. We're, we're, there's plans in place and there's relief and, and we'll get through it. But I get it. I understand. I'm with you. If you don't have a, a, a manager, property manager, landlord like that, I'm, I'm really sorry. And I think that feedback eventually should get back to the company that employs them. Uh, so we can encourage people to be more human about the process. But yeah, yeah it's real complicated. I've, I've just finished a week of those calls. We finally resolved every issue. Uh, I don't think I have any outstanding issues at this point. Everybody has either paid or has a plan sure. that I'm fine with. So that's kind of where that's kind of where I am and where we are here with. It. That's yeah. That's 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 good to hear uh, from your end. Um, and it, you know, it, it's funny that you say that. You know, just like being being aware of who's treating people right and who's on the right side of history because I was actually listening to uh, a different podcast um, that I would I would highly encourage at least people to listen to this episode. Um, it's called Worst Year Ever, uh, and they had Mark Cuban on the podcast. Um, and the people, on, the people that host this podcast are ultra-liberal, like very liberal people, but this was a very good interview. This was very back and forth. Obviously, Cuban is a billionaire. He's got a lot of money. Um, but he, he said that we're going, to, we're going to remember the companies that treated their employees well, absolutely, and the companies that did. Like once everything goes back to whatever the new version of normal is, we are going to remember which companies did right by their people and by their consumers, and which ones took advantage and didn't. And that is going to hurt them long term. They may not see it right now. They may be looking at it at a very short, uh, short-term view, but people are not going to forget. You know, kind of the same thing that happened. I mean, not kind of the same thing that happened with 9/11. Like, there are certain things that happen around 9/11 that we just do not forget about, and it's going to be the same here. Hurricane um, Katrina, same. Yeah. yeah. You, um, it, it crisis reveals character. It reveals. Uh, true ability to be a leader, um, leaders uh, of companies, leaders of small businesses, um, the the true leaders, and, and I by no means am, am putting myself up with anybody like Mark Cuban. I think he's absolutely right. Yeah. But it reveals, you know, who you are, and and it will go into an economic capitalism um, um, equation here. The people that treated people like shit. Are going to go out of business or are going to have their business hurt. Yep. Period. Uh, we don't forget. Too many people are going to have died. Mm -hmm. Too many people are going to come close to death. 
too many people work in the healthcare business, too many school teachers who are trying to navigate this thing. We're all affected. We're all intertwined in this, and we will collectively remember. And not to shift the focus to politics, but I really think it's an indicator that we will remember collectively in November. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you say that. You know, I've 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 seen friends that are typically more conservative. Um, not say like, oh, I'm going to start voting Democrat or I'm switching like how my thought process is, but the ones they're, they're slowly just, they're more, they're just kind of fed up. Um, and, and it's more the people that are fed up with government in general, more of your like libertarian types, but they're, they're just fed up with everything. And in the past, they kind of looked at Republicans, uh, as the lesser of two evils, so to speak. Um, it, if they if they even voted at all, um, and now they're they're starting to see that there's, you know, the veil has been kind of pulled back, on what, what you know what how, how different versions of politicians uh, treat things, and this goes from like local level all the way up to this isn't just talking about like sure. presidential elections or senate elections and things like that. So I am very interested to see how how that's going to be affected um so to speak well as long as we don't suppress the vote as long as we can have secure voting methods uh i i feel confident in the, the american people that they will either reelect or boot out of office uh people that deserve either um and and as someone who's uh, just so anyone who's listening wants to know uh i tend to be a um, slightly left of center uh, democrat who has voted Republican very infrequently. Uh, I don't prescribe to or ascribe to far left progressive politics, but I try to have a healthy respect for, for all voices. But I just think that this this will um, this will fully or has already fully exposed the leadership we currently have in Washington, which I can't honestly tell you is Republican, Democrat or anything else. I don't know what amorphous blob of leadership this is, uh, but it's nothing I've ever seen in my life. And, and history, immediate and long-term history, will judge it incredibly harshly. And I'm, uh, if there's any silver lining, and I think there's a few, if there's any silver lining of this, I think exposing this for what it is and what it has been uh, is one of those silver linings. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, all right, so I wanna I wanna kind of end this on more of a maybe maybe lighthearted note or maybe more just just shifting focus away from that so we don't have to like spend the whole time talking about this how do you feel about because i'm not a falcons fan so i don't have a dog in the fight how do you feel about the falcons new uniforms all right so i saw the back and forth amongst the franchise social medias and the division i like the falcons it's hard for me to be critical of my teams man it's hard I don't think you could get me to say just about anything bad about the University of Georgia football team, but we're talking about the Falcons, 28-3. to <laughs> I haven't gotten over it. Um, I, I'm willing to give them a shot, but I think they're hot garbage. Yeah. Yeah, I that, that seems to be the general consensus, at least among my friend group. Um, there are a few that like them. Um, I think for the most part, modern NFL uniforms in general are pretty boring. 
give me the throwbacks, man. Yeah. Give me this. Give me the. I don't. I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I love that star. Give me the Steelers, the old Montana era 49ers jersey. Love those classics. That's one thing about football for me, that uh, the tradition. Like baseball needs to be more progressive and get away from old code and tradition. Yeah. But football, that that tradition isn't that old. It's only what sixty years old, fifty years old. Especially professional football. Yeah. We called them. So we had an experience as Georgia fans about ten years ago. We played at what was the Georgia Dome. We played Boise Boise State. State. Yep. I knew exactly where you were going. (laughs) So you know what I'm going to say. The Power Rangers uniforms. They were hideous. The worst thing I've ever seen. I was embarrassed, and we played like we were embarrassed. But yeah, (laughs) I I think I think you can change a lot. You can do new music on this on the on the sound system. You can do new dance crazes. You can do new sayings and slogans. But the uniforms are like your heartbeat as far as the uh, ancillary things around the game of football. Leave them as they are. I like the black original Falcons uniforms, not the new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Leave leave, leave, leave Brittany alone, man. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like, as far as somebody, like I said, who has no vested interest in the Falcons one way or the other. Duval! I, I, yeah, du, Duval till I die. Um, <laughs> the I really, really like the the uniform itself like the actual jersey that they wore when uh dion was there uh early 90s but then i think i think it would look great if you take that go all black and do the old red helmets from the early 70s with the falcon on there but and then just like update it a little bit you know make make it more like 2000 uh like the you know 2020 but you don't really have to do that much it's like and also, like, Nike just has this weird, like, obsession with gradients on all their uniforms. Yes. Um, especially the modern ones. You know, as a Jags fan, we had to deal with that um, when they had that weird kind of gradient on the on the helmets from, like, gold to black. Uh, right. A couple years ago. Although I will say, in defense of these uniforms, we did make the AFC Championship game when we were wearing those uniforms. So. Was it two years ago or three years ago? Uh, I think it was three years ago at this point. Um, with that defense. Yeah, with the defense, and Blake Bortles just wasn't playing bad. He was kind of having like a Flacco-esque uh, playoff when, you know, Flacco's pretty much average, and then he just kind of goes crazy. Uh, yeah, tall, lumbering white guys are out now. <laughs> sell, your, sell, your stock in, sell your stock in the six foot six, uh, uh, four seven forty guy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's it, it's crazy. And I, I, the one thing that we do have to look forward to as sports fans, even though it's going to be very modified, obviously, is the draft. It's still going to go on. It's going to be different. Everybody's going to be remote. Um, but the draft is going to happen. So that's something we have to look forward to, so we can at least talk about something else. Well, and 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 I don't know when this plans uh, to air for you. I know you've got a lot of. A lot of people to talk to, a lot of guests. So this may very well be after this event occurs. But um, ESPN uh, on this Sunday, which for us is tomorrow, is doing that horse competition. Oh yeah, yeah. Two days from now, because we're on Friday. So yeah. Right, we're on Friday. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a side effect of this? Yeah. What day is it? Yeah, right. <laughs> what day is it? What day is it today? My one of my I, one I of my group, favorite. I have a group text with a guy with a bunch of guys that one in San Francisco and Atlanta and other big cities, and and there's one guy who just says every morning, just a reminder, gentlemen, today is Thursday. Yeah. Just a reminder, just to keep us because we forget at this point if we're not keeping in our habits and looking at things and looking forward to things, we don't know what 
what freaking day it is. Yeah, one of, I, kind of two things about that. One of my favorite tweets that I've seen regarding, you know, everything that's been going on is there's now only three days of the week. Today, tomorrow, and yesterday. Yeah. And that's it. There's the other days, the the old way of days don't matter. But apparently, I don't I don't really watch uh, ESPN anymore um, unless there's like an actual live sporting event on. But apparently on Get Up, uh, Green Mike Greenberg uh, on Wednesday, I believe it was, said the entire day like he kept saying, you know, Happy Tuesday, Happy Tuesday, Happy Tuesday. And then at the end of the episode, he's like, you know, this is my first time in my entire career of broadcasting and everything that I forgot the day. Oh and wow! I apologize for that. Goodness gracious! So yeah, it's, even it's funny. I don't watch ESPN hardly at all anymore either. Yeah, but you everybody's know, everybody's locked into the news or Netflix or Tiger King. Really quick, because I I gotta I know you gotta go. I gotta go. No, go for uh, it. Do you have Tiger King thoughts? Did you see Tiger King? So I haven't watched it. Um, I know I was already aware of Joe Exotic from that like one episode in 2016 of uh, Last Week Tonight, where right. John Oliver talked about him. Yes. Um, as because he ran for president in 2016, um, I. So for one, you know some of the you're people, conflicted. You're conflicted. Yeah, for one, some of the people from that show are from Florida, and uh, so I'm like, you know, this is very much perpetuating a stereotype of a lot of people from Florida, Florida man, so to speak. Sure. Sure. Um, and I also just from like hearing my friends talk about it, seeing memes on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everything else. I don't even know that I need to watch it at this point. I feel like I already get, I feel you like make I already, a good point. I feel like I already know you, everything. You really make a good point. It, 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 let me tell you that we watch things that disgust us all the time, don't sure. we? I mean, as a society, you know, I, I've seen like a, a little corner of the internet and, and friend circle that's Oh, I, I, I do not want to debase myself and watch the, that horrible. Well, you know what? Let's re, if we want to take a real account of everything we consume in some way or another, we watch a lot of horrible. Shows. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And, and, and just so you know, and I'm sure you've heard literally, like you just said, everything you need to know. You could probably write a book about it, having never seen an episode. Yeah. But, um, it, 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 and and my wife, she is now about to watch episode four, which I'm going to go back and watch it with her just to see her reaction. But episode one. You watch it, you go, okay, that's that's messed up. Episode two, you're like, okay, that's really messed up. But by the time you hit episode three, it's like, you got to be kidding me. And that's where <laughs> it earned its, pardon the pun, it earned its stripes yeah. as the wackiest documentary possibly in human history. So uh, you may not have the appetite for it, you may not care, but it is about, let's see, six, what, six, seven episodes, yeah. 40 minutes apiece. So it's like three and a half, four hours. Just on a rainy Sunday, Kevin. I'm serious. Just you got nothing. You got nothing to do, anyways. But you can't even go out in your <laughs> yard. You've got you've you've you recorded all your podcast guests. You've done all your work. Just sit down and just defile yourself and watch it and join the club yeah. and F Carol Baskin. I will. I will say uh, because I, I'm definitely not against debasing myself to watching weird things um, before <laughs> before we kind of uh, end everything. Uh, a documentary, and I, all my friends know this because I've I've told them about it. A documentary that I would 100% recommend because it's weird and it takes a lot of twists, and you are not ready for what's about to happen. It's called Tickled. Okay. Uh, it's on. 
it's on H. I'm pretty sure it's on HBO Go. Um, you can probably find other places to stream it. Um, and it's about the competitive sport of tickling. What? And I'll leave it at that. It came out, I think, in 2016, somewhere in that range. Um, so who's the world champion of tickling right now? Uh, I. And what's her name? Uh, I can't. Uh, you know, just just look up the trailer. The trailer is going to give a lot away. I mean, you, <laughs> like just just watching the trailer is going to you, you're going to have your mouth on the floor. Um, is, is this really quick? Is this an American-based uh, set of competitions, or are we talking like Sweden? Nope, or? it's all it's all it's all here. It's all in the United States. Okay, and um, it's not Florida-based. No, it's not. It's it's everywhere. It's it, it's uh, it, I don't I don't want to give away too much, but they're like when I watched it, uh, it was when I first watched it. I watched it with the girl that I was dating at the time because I'd heard about it a lot. And I was wearing a hoodie while we were watching because it was the winter. And by the end, I had, like, the hoodie strings pulled tight. So the only thing you could see no. is just my eyeballs. Just, like, watching it through. And not because it's, like, scary or anything like that. But just, like, all the different twists and everything. I was just, I was floored. I was beyond my i tell you what. i tell you what. Uh, I am not yet going to start Ozark. I'm going to give that till mm -hmm. next week. So, and the interim. I will check now. I got to look it up, see what platform it's on. But I, you have my word, and I will shoot you a text once I start it, and I'll put on a hoodie and wrap the drawstrings <laughs> and show you my reaction. I, if you recommend it, I will check it out for certain. Perfect. Tickle, huh? Tickle. Yeah, tickled. Um, all right, before we go, uh, this is probably pretty obvious. Um, you know, I saw I saw something on uh, one of the social media sites um, that. At least the Macon location of Amici is going to be reopening, uh, or plans on reopening for just to goes. Because I what, that is what what I've been is, doing is I've been having all my guests just um, recommend and shout out like a local uh, yeah local restaurant to, you know support local business. Um, obviously, your brother runs local business. I worked I worked for John and Bob, one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. Um, and they're and they're Austin bosses. And I would yeah. just say this. You know, I, I, I'm not saying the people at, uh, at McDonald's or, or, you know, any other corporate chain, they're great, sure. they're, they're great, you know, they do what they do, and they got employees just like everybody else, we want to take care of each other, uh, but McDonald's is going to be fine, McDonald's is going to get through this just fine, right. they, maybe you can pay their employees a little more uh, uh, wage as well, but the heart of every town, whether it's a town like Millersville, Georgia, or a town like Atlanta, uh, your small businesses are your backbone. And those small businesses, many of them, the longer this goes, may never, ever open up again. That's the sad, cold truth of this. There is going to be enough stimulus money to keep everything how it was. So a lot of those storefronts, a lot of those retail places especially, a lot of those restaurants, they just won't be able to survive this hit. Uh, fortunately uh, for my family, my brother, my brother from another mother, uh, Bob, they uh, are, are very good planners, they're very good businessmen, and they're going to come back stronger than ever. But it is my understanding, and I would look for official confirmation on social media from Michi Millersville and Michi Macon, but it is my understanding that in the next few days, days, not weeks, days, that uh, both the Millersville and Macon locations will be open up for to-go, and they're working on exactly how that menu looks, and uh, we encourage you to use all your platforms if you can't or don't want to even leave the house to get to go or curbside you've got your your local delivery companies you've got your door dashes of the world uh 
order local. You're not spending money going out. You're not spending money at the movies. You're not spending money going bowling. You're not spending money on vacations. If you're going to have a little bit of discretionary income, for those of you who have it, a lot right. of people don't. A lot of people are struggling. You guys do what you got to do. But if you have that little bit of discretionary income, if you still are fortunate enough, like I am, I think like you are, to have a job, um, spend that a little bit of just a tiny bit of that discretionary income with your local businesses. Personally, because it's a family matter, because it's an awesome place, and because you work there and everybody loved you when you were there. Please, if you're in the Millersville making area, get some Amici, get some pizza, and anything else that's going to be on this to-go menu as everything reopens for this new reality we have. Until yeah. we can all go back in and celebrate happy hour together and wear our masks while we sip our beer. Absolutely. All right. Well, Philip, this was great. This was very enlightening. It was a good, a good view on a lot of different things that I don't think that a lot of people really knew about. So this was this was awesome. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, hopefully, we'll talk again real soon. Yeah, man, glad you're doing this. This is awesome. The congratulations, and I'll keep listening. And call me if you need me, buddy. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Philip. Yes, sir. All right, Bye. later.